Hello and welcome to AutoLine, coming to you from the floor of the Auto Show in Washington, D.C. And the reason we're in the nation's capital is we're going to be talking about all the different issues affecting the automotive industry that emanate from this town. For example, you probably heard President Obama's State of the Union address in which he established the goal of having one million electric vehicles on the nation's roads within just four years' time. But is that possible? Is it feasible? Indeed, is that the proper role of government to be picking specific technologies for the country to go after? Well, to get to the bottom of those issues, I've got three experts coming on today's show. Daniel Weiss is with the Center for American Progress. Ron Kogan is the publisher of Green Car Journal. And Fred Smith is with the Competitive Enterprise Institute. You know, we had the three of them here last year, and it turned into a rip-roaring discussion. That's exactly what I think is going to happen again. So don't go away. We'll get started in just a moment. From the floor of the Washington, D.C. Auto Show, this is AutoLine. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. Welcome back to our discussion from the floor of the Washington, D.C. Auto Show. And, of course, joining me right now are Daniel Weiss from the Center of American Progress, Ron Kogan, the publisher of Green Car Journal, and Fred Smith from the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Great having you all here again we all did this, of course, a year ago, and it's great to have you back. And Dan, let me start with you. Uh, recently, President Obama, in his State of the Union address, said he wants a million electric cars on the road in about four years' time. What do you make of that? Is that a realistic goal for the country? Uh, having a million electric vehicles on the road in four years is a realistic but ambitious goal. Uh, the Chevy Volt, which is a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle, is being sold this year, and the demand is so high that General Motors is going to quadruple the number they make. They've already all well, they say they're going to. Right. Are they going to be able to do it? And that's well, why I'm asking, Ron, is that a realistic goal? Can you quadruple production? I think you can. It depends on how the economics work out. If, if incentives stay in place and uh, if people get the vehicle, and I think they should because the Volt's a great vehicle. So uh, that, it depends on, on how things unfold. Fred? They can do anything if they're willing to subsidize it enough. You can make water run uphill. You can make people buy cars that are far from being economically testable today. The question is whether it's sensible to take money in an embattled economy and pour it into the economy, the car of the future, when we want to buy the car of today. Why is it sensible to put that kind of money into well, the Well, as President Obama talked about in the State of the Union, this is about American competitiveness with other countries and about American innovation. Uh, China just announced they're going to invest $15 billion in building the clean energy electric cars of the future. Now, uh, we're going to go to those cars one way or another because we've got to reduce our foreign oil use. We've got to. It's a national security imperative. So the question is, are we going to buy those cars from China or is China going to buy those cars <coughs> from us? Thanks to President Obama, we're getting our industry off the ground. And, you know, every product that you make costs more when it first comes out. You know, the first iPhone with far fewer functions probably costs a lot, costs a lot more than the one you can buy today. And the that, price of, excuse me, Fred, the price of the Volt is going to be coming down as the number of orders go up. And that, incidentally, is the point. Dan made a point and realized why it's silly to always want to rush out and be the person who adopts a product before it's market ready. 
first adopters often spend a lot of money, do a lot of interesting work, and then are quickly overcome by the second adopter who waits till the technology's ready, the cost is to the point where actually people can afford it. Wasting money trying to introduce products which may or may not be something consumer wants is a great way to bankruptcy. Federal involvement in technological selections has been a disaster from the super collider of the years past through the, a few, uh, through the fusion facility. Government does not pick innovations well and the president's no brighter than any other politician. Well, here, here's, here's, here's my question. Why is there an assumption that it has to be electric cars? I, th I think it's a right. dangerous thing right. to pick a winner at a time when... For the, the government to pick a winner. For the government to pick a winner. The market picks the winner. It exactly. always does. And so why are we in that position where we're seeing an administration that's picking a winner that's electrification? Yeah. And it's not that I'm against electrification. I'm a big advocate for electric cars. Yeah. But I'm also a big advocate of economic and fiscal responsibility. You can, you can subsidize vehicles for so long, then they need to stand on their own. I think that's an assumption that electric cars will, will get there. But how long is this going to take? And is, is an electric car going to play well in cold weather states where you're dealing with snow, uh, which Washington had recently and, and pretty much stopped the city? Uh, or, or are you going to have vehicles that run on other technologies and fuels? So my, my point would be, hey, there, there's a portfolio of technologies and vehicles that are available to, to take us that, to the future that the president envisions. I don't know why there's a singular focus on electrification. You're exactly right. And the good news is because of investments we've made over the last couple of years, uh, the United States is going to play a leadership role in the production of the uh, high-tech batteries that can power electric cars or plug-in hybrid electrics. And thanks to these investments, we think that the cost of the battery is going to be cut in half within a few years. And the United States, and the United States will. Well, what do you want, Fred? Do you want everything to happen immediately? No, well, I, during I, the I, during the Bush administration, we were always worried about faith-based initiatives. Dan is still putting his faith in green faith-based initiatives. Hey, let, let me show. I've been following battery technology now for yeah. 20 years. I've been doing this a long time. I'm still waiting for the breakthrough yeah. that was discussed in the early 90s. It has not come. Not in cost. Not in energy density. We keep making improvements. Great improvements. Right. Better chemistries, but the cost remains extraordinarily high. The cars... What, what do you think the cost of a, uh, for a battery pack in, say, the Nissan Leaf is right now? No, they're not going to tell us the, the exact cost. Well, it took years to find out. What do you, I, I'm reading that it's uh, somewhere in the $15,000 and, and range. That may, that, that may be true. And, and you, you hear about the Tesla electric car, it's been $30,000 for that car. Is, you know, they talked about it at $25,000 at first, then it became $30,000. What is it truly? And, and when you talk unless to automakers... We, you know what, Ron? Unless we make investments to develop these technologies, we are always going to be stuck at a high-priced, small I'm scale. Not, let me make an alternative way of looking at this. Look, you don't have to teach the grass to grow, move the impediments off the shade. One of the barriers to electric car, whether it makes sense or not, is the lack of an adequate interstate electrical grid for America. The reason is we've created no incentives for anyone to invest in the high-voltage linkages. We have the problems of subsidy problems, which most of us have problems with, picking winners. The A lot of the things we're doing has made it harder and has diverted technology into a consumer-friendly, whatever market works, whatever consumers want, and the sort of whatever the political fad of the moment is. Uh, mixed fuel vehicles one year, electric one year, hybrids the next year. 
You know, this is well, you not know, the way to run Fred, a mature world. Fred, you'd be pleased world. to know that policy's going exactly the way you'd like because we're going to have a whole range of things out there. We're going to have incentives to build that the, uh, charging infrastructure. Subsidies, subsidies. That you, well, you, say, you said the word incentives. Uh, they're going to have incentives to build the charging infrastructure that you want. In addition, we're going to have stricter fuel economy standards so people who don't want to plug in hybrid electric vehicle or an all-electric vehicle, they can buy a minivan that instead of getting uh, 15 miles a gallon, we'll get 25 yeah, miles look, a yeah, gallon. I want, so, I want, I want no. to go back to your point, no, if I could, totally uh, sure. about, about the fact that we need investment. I agree. We need investment. We need incentives. You have to move the market in certain ways. I think it's to our advantage to be a leader in electrification, so I would never <coughs> denigrate that. My issue is with the assumption that the battery breakthrough will be here in the short term to make these cars as affordable that we're hoping that they'll be. That, that's the issue. But well, we only have investments say, in yeah. past technologies like computers, like telecommunications, that show us a pattern of investment, research, development, deployment, and commercialization. And we also that's, saw We're using Dan, that model. Maybe it works. Hopefully it will. Maybe it doesn't, which is why we've got a panoply of options. Go ahead, The Fred. big difference between you and I, as we both want a technologic optimistic view, we're agreeing with that. The big difference is hair, okay. actually. <laughs> But the big difference, I think, is that you think we have to somehow lead it from the top down. And my view is, let's get the impediments out of the way. Not, incentive, not pay electric companies to build wires. Make it profitable for them to do it. Don't battery technology. The earth, the rare earth problem, we closed all of our mines down. We made it easier for China to take a lead in the area because we closed it down. Natural gas and the potential of a greater reliance on natural gas to fuel our vehicles. We're making it almost impossible to build a natural gas in America when natural gas could, we could be the Saudi Arabia. You're, you're, in every area, right. it's the impediments to the future that I would remove first, and then if you guys want to subsidize something, do it. But why start right. with neutrality? Okay, first of all, Fred, you're mistaken about natural gas, we're producing more and have more homegrown natural gas now than we did five years ago. In fact, five years ago, we were expecting to import a bunch of natural gas. Now those facilities are being used for storing natural gas produced here. So you're mistaken about that. Let me make the point no. about natural yes. gas. Natural gas really is a, it works is, for trucks. Is a, is a developing success story right. for mid and uh, right. mid-range vehicles, large right. heavy-duty vehicles. Right. Companies like Clean Energy are focused on that, building stations, working with companies on sure. fueling contracts. That's that's important, and incentivizing right. that is important. And Absolutely. it's an important counterpoint to electrification because you can't or should not put all your eggs in one basket. Absolutely Take cliches, but, but, but there you are. Electric cars, I think there's a big future for it, but we have other technologies and fuels that work really well. I've driven about 25,000 miles in natural gas vehicles, light duty ones, uh, Honda Civic GX, for instance. <coughs> Those vehicles operate seamlessly. They just announced they're going to sell them in uh, all 50 states. I hope they increase their numbers so, the, so they actually expensive. The conversion right. is right. And the advantage expensive. of electricity for passenger vehicles is that you've got a refueling station at your house with your outlet. I think natural gas is great. We support the Natural Gas Act, uh, which would create incentives to uh, convert trucks, uh, mid and heavy trucks <laughs> and buses to natural gas. And if it, if it works, it would save it over a million barrels in one day. But Dan, let me, let me one ask thing. you this. Let me, everyone okay, with okay, finish. The problem with the internal combustion engine is that there is an externality that is is not paid for by the user of the car. Uh, there's several, but one is that externality is the oil comes from overseas. Two thirds of our oil comes from overseas. We have 2% of the world's oil. We are never 
ever going to be able to produce even a majority of our own oil, even if we drilled everywhere, even if we drilled in Fred's backyard. But let's go so, back to the so Let me just finish. Okay. So developing alternatives, including electric vehicles, including natural gas, including advanced biofuels, are really important in the way that Ron said. But here's an issue, I think, when it comes to using natural gas or electricity. No road taxes. I mean, if we all go to electrics or natural gas right. cars, then they're not paying their fair share to the roads. How do we do this? So some sort of tax or licensing fee or something has got to be added to them, which is will. going to I detract mean, it, from their affordability. Well, Ron, you, have to, have sorry, vehicle, ahead, you have to have the vehicles first. That'll come. It's like it's like uh, electrification. If you have all of these advanced batteries, there has to be a recycling infrastructure for that. It will come. It'll scale up. As a matter of fact, the vehicles. Well, Ron, as you already know, the highway, the, the gasoline tax now doesn't pay. Is not adequate to pay for our highways. So this will just exacerbate. You find the out. In fact, so. in one area, this is illustrative of that fact. Hove lanes were free to hybrid vehicles pretty soon. Uh, Occupancy lanes high, with more than one person. And then they went person. to high occupancy, and now we're actually having hot lanes, high occupancy tow roads. One of the things we're going to see is a much more intelligent pricing of road use, regardless of the vehicle, and it'll be driven up with that. But look, this whole idea that I would love to see a world in which we first remove the impediments to natural gas. Dan mentioned that the natural Dan, Daniel Dan Dan mentioned that the natural gas is, <laughs> is expanding rapidly. Yes, but the, the the use of water is critical to fracking to open up that all. And I have seen nothing from the Center of American Progress or any environmental groups that has been favorably inclined to open up our natural gas development. Nothing about offshore development. Nothing about tar sands from Canada, which is a massive source a very reliable energy. They're now blocking a pipeline coming down from Canada to the American heartland. Look, the first thing to do is to move the stones out of the way, let the grass grow, and then if we decide we prefer one grass over, okay, then subsidize it. But first let the grass grow wherever it is the sunshine. I think the first thing that has to happen is we need a national energy policy. Let's face it, <laughs> how, do you, how do companies invest in alternative fuels right. and technologies with confidence when the game keeps changing? So in the absence of leadership or, or changeable leadership in Washington, there is no roadmap, and without a roadmap, you can't have the investment you need to get there. Well, you know, President Obama, President Obama just provided part of the roadmap uh, during the State of the Union. Second of all, Fred, you must not be checking our, our website very often, because we've written on numerous occasions about the need to expand natural gas use for both vehicles and... Fracking? and You're not opposed to fracking? Let me finish, Fred. Both, <laughs> since you don't read, you should listen. Um, the, uh, expand the use of natural gas both for vehicles and for electricity. In addition, we believe it can be done safely, but let's have the the companies that do it, some of which are the ones responsible for the BP oil disaster. Let's tell, let's require them to tell us what chemicals they're using. Let's make sure that they capture the methane, which has externalities, which, you know, in the atmosphere. This is what my grandmother used to say, you could go swimming as long as you didn't go near the water. There's a tremendous tendency to say the environmentalists aren't opposed to the future, they just want to slow it down into the past. We want to just we avoid the, the side effects of things because there are the side other people of anything and, right. and non-affordable energy and non Non-available energy is the biggest one, and the environmental movement has done more to block affordable wait, wait, wait. energy let, in America let, than Let me stir it up area. a bit and start with Ron. You, you said what we need is a national energy we policy. Do. What would you like to see? Well, I, I would like to see a policy that, that takes an objective look at all the fuels and technologies <coughs> out there, does not pick a winner, and incentivizes the, what appear to be the most promising. To ignore natural gas is a travesty. We have abundant supplies of natural gas in this country. We have vehicles that can run on natural gas seamlessly. But of course, we didn't know this even five years ago. And in the auto industry, right. it takes at least three but years to bring a new now. car to market. Right. And but so we do know it now. So, so right. what's the policy? Electrification. Yeah. Well, well you know I, what, Ron, though? It, it's important to note that the uh, Obama administration and uh, Senator Reid and other Democrats in Congress 
Congress and some Republicans supported both the Nat Gas Act and the Electrical Vehicles Act. One, natural gas for trucks and buses, electric vehicles for uh, cars. Who blocked it? Mitch McConnell and most of the Senate Republicans. That's why we don't have a natural energy policy is because they're, they talk about impediments. We've got a 60 vote impediment in the U.S. Senate that keeps us from doing things, I, even though there's I, a minority. I think both parties are responsible well, for look, Let's go to why do we have a national policies. Look, looking for stability and certainty in political world is like looking for love in all the wrong places. We're basically talking about a political... John Stewart did a wonderful issue on national energy policy energy independence and he said look what Bush is saying Obama is saying these great things and then he went back to Bush said those great things and then Clinton said those great things it became a ridicule because every year the politics changes that's what politics is all about and trying to create stability in the boiling cauldron of politics is just foolish it's a, it's a fool's you know what, what we need to do is one thing right recognize that the market is better at picking these things and deregulate and get out of this area and say the, the policy of America is to let consumers decide through market forces, not by second But you know what, though, Fred? The big difference between uh, Obama and Bush is that Obama's actually already done things. We're investing in advanced batteries. We're, we, uh, we were going to make did all that stuff. Bush no, we didn't. All that stuff. But well, we then, went into fuel cells under the, the Bush yeah, administration. Right. 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 No batteries. We're, we, we've got uh, stricter fuel economy standards, which will save nearly two billion barrels of oil, of which two-thirds of that, sorry, one-fifth of that will come from countries that are classified as dangerous or unstable. I'm not defending department. Republicans. I've been as abysmal on this issue as Democrats so, are. What I'm saying is, is, no, politicians are not the place to design the future mobility of America or the world. And let's, here's a reality check. You know, if we want to make a difference in the short term, not just the mid and the long term, and electrification really speaks to the latter, how, what do you do? Yeah. Why are we not incentivizing clean diesel vehicles? In, in, in ways, 30% better fuel efficiency, you know, you're offsetting a lot of petroleum that way. As these vehicles come to market, better and better technology, they drive just like any other vehicle. For a whole lot less than the cost of a hybrid. Incredibly or a less. A lot of these, these are vehicles that are here now. We should be, you know, why Washington ignores this completely to look only in alternative areas is beyond me. And that's not you know what I'm why. pushing. You know I'm why? not pushing the politics fuels. doesn't work. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not pushing fossil fuels. What I'm pushing is logic. Logic. Well, you know what, Ron? Besides what, you can also right. use synthetic fuels, sure. synthetic diesel fuels. Uh, Rentec has, has a drop-in uh, synthetic fuel. We talked about it at the Green Car Summit in recent uh, weeks. Well, you know, know, right before the show, I was talking to somebody from the Clean Diesel Association, and he said the, uh, in the upcoming fuel economy standards that are going to start kicking in next year and then another round in 2017 will help create more of a demand for clean diesel as well as plug-in hybrid electric vehicles, natural gas trucks, and all these other technologies. So President Obama is using government policy to help set standards create a market for a panoply of technologies of the kind that you've just been talking about. But what about the regulations that we have right now, wherein we say, oh, we want much lower emission standards. Well, guess what? When you start to tighten up the screws, so to speak, to get better, uh, lower emissions, it can hurt fuel economy. On top of that, we say, oh, we've got to make cars safer, which adds more structures to the car, makes them heavier, which guess what? causes more emissions and burns more fuel. Don't we need somebody to sort of be looking at the companies say that, uh, The auto companies have signed off on the increase in fuel economy standards <laughs> that will take us to 35 miles a gallon by 2016. One of something interesting? Right now, the Chinese fuel economy standard is 35 miles a gallon, right now. By the time we go to 35, the Chinese will have a fuel economy standard of 42 yeah. miles per this gallon. This idea that the Chinese are godlike figures, the Japanese were godlike figures before that. This idea that somehow brilliance is 
voices abroad and Americans are dumb people. The Chinese have done what they've been able to do, partly because they have liberated the economy, whereas we're fertile regulating our economy. The Chinese are perfectly willing to sell Americans windmills and whatever other silly things we want to buy, but they're putting their future in coal-powered technology because they know whether they know what affordable energy is worthwhile. The whole idea that over there the grass is greener. The grass is very green in America. It would deregulate it, would remove, not incentivize. That's taxpayer. We don't have the taxpayers subsidy money we used to have. Get out of the way and let Detroit do what it once did and the other companies too. Build cars that people want to buy that are durable, affordable, and convenient safe. Uh, I want to come back to it. Ryan the U.S. Race. market is not the Chinese market. This is, this is a market unto and We love our cars. Cars are an integral I part of I think the Chinese love their cars. They're well, going to love their too. Exactly. But they don't have the history, the no. driving passion that other there. markets that have been in this for <laughs> a long time. They're learning. I think so. And, you know, the automobile is freedom. You, you can Absolutely. go wherever you want to go, when you want to go, with whom you want to go. Going back to Fred's point is let the auto companies design the cars. If we did, we wouldn't have seatbelts. We wouldn't have airbags. We'd be getting 15 miles a gallon. We'd be having lead coming out of the cars. We'd be having ozone smoke. We would not have put, we would not have forced the airbag in prematurely when it led to deaths of smaller people and lighter people. But Dan raises a good point. You know, it was regulations that brought in mandatory seat belts. And, you know, the problem is there's a market, the classic market failure is that the uh, not rear and and forward television cameras. Every innovation comes in first as high price, low quality. And then that testing period, which is much better done in a market test and by political second guessing, those then become affordable, high quality products for the rest of us. You know, I think it's the rich are the white mice. And we let the rich do these things driving in, not stupid I, politicians. I think it's a lot like sitting between these two guys. You, know, <laughs> you, you have your perspectives, and I'm kind of in the middle because I think there's a middle ground. Actually, makes, I agree with you a lot. It makes a lot of sense. You just and, try to seem in the middle, but you and I agree a lot. <laughs> Is that scary to me or not? I don't know. It's scary to me. (laughs) But but look, there's a middle ground. Government has a place to incentivize and in some ways to regulate because in the absence of some of those regulations, we wouldn't have the safety that we have. We wouldn't have the low emissions that we have. At the same time, we need a free market to be able to sell cars that people want. Uh, Detroit and the auto industry in general has responded really well to these. We we wouldn't have those low emissions, but one of the reasons we don't have clean diesel so readily available in the United States is our NOx, oxides of nitrogen, standard is so tough. It's much tougher than what it is in Europe. Numerically, no. But to get to what the American standard is, it, it's choked Absolutely. off diesel. But, but look Why can't we just throttle back a little bit, get all the benefits of diesel instantly at much lower cost? Well, well, here's a good reason, John, is because nitrogen oxide is a big contributor to urban smog. Urban smog prematurely kills people. The National Academy of Sciences said $120 billion a year from burning fossil fuels, including oil, which produces and NOx. If we, if we adopted the European standard... Right which is a pretty strict standard, not a strict We have a different geography than they do. And we've got small problems. And our small problems have dramatically reduced in part because of these NOx standards. Why would you go back to that? Because I I assure you, if we adopted the European standard, people would not be dropping over because the air was more polluted. In fact, as you know, you get an instant 25% reduction in CO2 emissions going with diesel. You get substantially better fuel economy. So, yeah, you you get standards to drive innovation not weaken the standard to bring something that's already let me, here. Let me see what, he's basically, we, we could have uh, a he much made better the, solution tomorrow. Made the point, we're both talking about what, you know, what presidents have and haven't not, not done. But Obama did give a talk that said we need to rethink the regulatory state in part. We should get rid of dumb and unnecessary regulations. 
things like the failure to recognize that the Europeans, in many cases, are healthier, longer lifespans than America, and they have different ways of addressing air pollution standards. Rethinking all of the regulatory policies. Instead, we've got a rogue EPA that is out there passing regulations faster than in any time in our history, created by Republicans, but of course, financed now by lots and lots of people. We've got a, 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 a regulatory structure now that is at war with the future of our country, Rethink them, keep the regulations that make sense. But for God's sake, don't keep the ones there just because they have a historical precedent or because Dan likes them. To your well, point I'm sorry, about, if the air's too clean and the water's too clean for you, Fred, maybe we'll dial some of those back. To your, to your point about NOx, you know, if we looked back five or 10 years, who would have believed we could have had diesel as clean as it is now? Meaning NOx standards and the way that, that the latest uh, injection systems and, uh, and emission systems are doing. So I don't know that there should be an absence of regulation or that it should be scaled back. I think there should be an analysis of what it would mean right. in the numbers of vehicles commercialized. When I say scale back, all I'm saying is let's adopt what Europe has, which is a very Remember, Europeans have far fewer cars per person than we do. So the impact of a lower standard is going to be much less there than it will be here in our big urban and areas. They drive, and they drive less miles than we do, but they're also in a much tighter geography. Americans are the most dispersed nation in the world. A lot of our people are living in areas where you could drive cars for days and never see the smog he worries about. We should also be investing in high-speed rail. That will also help us reduce the amount of oil we use. Because remember, one out of every five barrels of oil used in the U.S. comes from a country that the State Department calls dangerous or unstable. That is not good for our security. That's an externality that the auto companies don't care about. Canada. That's not Again, he's, he's worried about Canadian invading America. I'm not. That was, a, that was a South Park piece about it, but it was funny, not meant to be serious. The thing is, we have a world that is interdependent. We have lots and lots of sources of energy abroad and lots at home that we're not exploiting right now. If we're worried about America's future, we want an America that is wealthier and technologically more advanced. The way to do that is not to build barriers, not to second guess which technologies work, and certainly not to rush out and regulate an already over-regulated industry. It's to free the American creative spirit up to create the future that I think all of us want, but I think is best done by markets, he thinks best done by politics. Okay, and with that, we are going to have to wrap it up, but Daniel Weiss, Ryan Ron Kogan, Fred Smith, thanks so much for coming back and arguing this out. Thanks for we'll having again us. next thanks. year, too. Right. Thanks. <laughs> thanks. I sure hope you enjoyed today's show. And man, did those three guys make my job easy. All I had to do was ask the first question, and they took over from there. But what a great debate. What is the proper role of government? What is going to work for the nation? And where do we go from here? You know, we at AutoLine don't have the answers, but I can promise you, we will be bringing on the people who are working on these solutions. But that brings us to the end of today's show. For all of us here at AutoLine, thanks for watching. We'll see you next week.